Well, good morning, and thank you for having me today. It's a blessing to be here. I bring you greetings from the great state of Texas, but I am born and bred in Indiana, so it's great to be back here in the Hoosier State. I'm a huge Indiana University basketball fan. That went over well. Uh, I just divided half the crowd, but that's okay. I, I get that. Uh, 16 years ago, uh, my wife Michelle and I moved from Greenwood, Indiana to Dallas, Texas and love Texas, just as uh, Kevin said. It's kind of like a different country in Texas, it really is. And that's kind of the way they like it, they like it like that. Uh, Texans, for instance, they don't eat very healthy there. Uh, we eat good, just not very healthy. Um, uh, like for instance, here is a picture of a grocery store in Houston. This is during Hurricane Harvey. This is the vegan section. So you can see how uh, Texans are like, no, thank you. We'll just take our chances with starvation. We're not, we're not eating that. Um, but anyway, seriously, thank you for having me here this weekend. I want to invite you to the North American Christian Convention, as Kevin said. It's June 26, 27, and 28 this summer here in Indianapolis. I have the honor of being the, the leader for this year's convention. And I just wanted to invite you. Take a look at this, just this quick little promo video. theme for this year's convention is called This Changes Everything. and just talks about how the gospel of Jesus changes our life and transforms us. So I want to invite you. I want you to meet me out at the Connection Center in the Hub right after uh, this, this service. And I would love to give you some information. would love to have you there uh, this summer in Indianapolis. I want to begin with this story. I love this story. There's a guy driving around a neighborhood and he sees a sign in front of a house and it says, Talking Dog for Sale talking dog. So he's intrigued. You would be too. He rings the bell. The owner tells him the dog is in the backyard and the guy goes into the backyard and he sees this beautiful golden retriever sitting there and he looks at the dog and he says, so you talk? And the dog's like, yep. And he says, uh, what's your story? And the dog says, well, I discovered that I could talk when I was pretty young and I wanted to help the government. So I told the CIA about my gift and in no time they all had me jetting around country to country, sitting in rooms with spies and world leaders, eavesdropping because no one figures a dog is gonna be a spy, right? I was one of their most valuable spies for eight years running, but the jetting around really tired me out. So I took a job for a local airport and I did some undercover security work and revealed a whole bunch of suspicious characters and received a whole batch of medals and I got married, had a mess of puppies and now I'm just retired. And the guy's like, this is amazing. He goes back into the owner. He says, what do you want for this amazing dog? And the guy says, oh, 10 bucks. He says, 10 bucks? This dog can talk. It's the most amazing dog I've ever seen in my life. Why would you charge just $10? Why is he so cheap? And the guy says, because he's a liar. He didn't do any of that stuff. <clears throat> yeah. I don't care who you are. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> Now, a talking dog might seem a little bizarre, but in our story today, God is going to speak to a man named Moses in an equally unusual way through a burning bush. 
And Moses is this intriguing Bible guy that I really identify with. I think you will too. Let's look at a season in his life and maybe we can learn a couple of things from Moses together today. First, a little background. The nation of Israel is under Egyptian oppression. It's been about 400 years. That's a long time. Its children had no memory of freedom. Its grandchildren had no memory of freedom. Their story is a sad one. It's about bondage. It's about slavery. They have no national identity at this point. We're introduced to Moses in Exodus chapter 2. And at the time that God calls him, he has no idea that God's going to use him as an agent of deliverance for the children of Israel. He has no idea that he is going to be called on to set the captives free. At the time we begin our study, Moses has grown up in the palace of Pharaoh. He has learned Egyptian culture. He's familiar with Egyptian ways. He is familiar with Egyptian gods. He's mindful of his Hebrew heritage, but now he's the prince of Egypt. And there is a day in his life that would sort of mark him. Uh, He is out one day amongst the soldiers, and he witnesses a Hebrew slave that's being abused by an Egyptian soldier. And in a fit of rage, Moses kills the Egyptian soldier. And his crime, of course, doesn't go... Unnoticed. When Pharaoh heard what had happened, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses escaped from Pharaoh and went to a place to live in a place called Midian. It's a desert community, so he's on the run now. He's a wanted man. He's a he's a fugitive. And he is stripped of his power and his palace and his position. And for the next four decades, he'll be in Midian and he'll become a shepherd. Now, that's quite a departure from a life growing up in the palace. Now he's tending sheep. And one day he comes upon a bush that's burning, but the Bible says it's burning, but it's not burning up. And he stops to look at the bush, and God begins to speak to him from the burning bush. Can you imagine him going back to the shepherd's quarters that night? Uh, uh, What'd you do today, Moses? Oh, no big deal. God talked to me through a burning bush. Sure he did, Moses. Sure he did. We think you've been burning a little bush, uh, Moses. (laughs) Thanks to Jim Gaffigan for that joke. But it's it's true. God is going to speak through this flaming shrub. And we're about to get a lesson that's so simple. I hope hope you won't miss it. Uh, God is a God of the people. He loves people. We see it very early on in Exodus chapter 3. This is the way that God chooses to reveal himself. He says, I I am the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm I'm the God of Jacob. It's easy to look past that little verse and say, yeah, 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 that's fine. But what's the big deal? It's a huge deal. This is a huge moment in the history of God. God is introducing himself to us. He, He makes a choice to identify himself with people. He's saying, I'm the God of your father and your grandfather and and his grandfather. I've been around a long time. I'll be here till the end. God wanted Moses to remember that, so he reverts back to a little history. Verse 6 there. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was fearful. He was scared. Does that surprise you a little bit? You know, growing up in the church, do you do this? I I grew up in church. I grew up going to Sunday school and vacation Bible school. What I did is I would take these Bible characters and I would graduate them to supernatural status because of what I knew about them. So I'm thinking they're superheroes. Like, Like I make them like Avenger status. Like he's Moses. He's fearless Bible guy, right? He is Charlton Heston with chiseled features, you know, his Duck Dynasty beard swaying in the wind, right? A deep voice that sounds like James Earl Jones. I'm Moses. I'm Bible guy, right? I don't think so. I think he's just a normal guy like you and me. I think he's scared. 
He hides his face from God. We think these Bible guys are fearless. Maybe you did it with Abraham, right? Oh, Abraham, he's the father of our faith. He's a superhero. Um, Abraham was a 90-year-old senior citizen when God called him to build the nation. If he were here today, he'd be in a nursing home playing bingo in the rec hall, okay? <laughs> so when you think of Moses or Abraham, when you think of these guys, don't think super Bible heroes or Bible guys. He's scared. He's hiding his face scared. He's shaking in his sandals scared. And God says, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Listen to the language, by the way. My people. He's a God of the people. He loves people. He sees that his people are miserable. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. He's concerned. Catalog that in your heart just for a moment, friend. God is concerned about his people. It's important to remember back in Moses' day. It's even more important to remember now. God's not theoretical. He's involved. He's not a cosmic finger pointer or a divine killjoy. He loves people. He loves, he loves you. He loves me. It was that way from creation. Let me ask you, how does this book begin, Genesis 1? What are the first three words? In the beginning. In the beginning of what? Not, not the beginning of God. We don't know a whole lot about his origin. In the beginning is beginning the story of God and his people. It's a, an amazing love story of, of you and me and God, the story of his people. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. He's a personal God. And he looks at Moses and he says, so, verse 8, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. So he's coming down. I would think at this point Moses would be pretty excited about that. Yes, God's coming down. Sick em, God. Like, let's open up a can on those Egyptians, right? Like, he'd be excited about that. This is a big moment, high drama. God's coming down. And our next verse is really funny to me. It provides a second thought from the life of Moses that not just that God is a God of the people, but God works through people. God says he's coming down, but look at the next verse. So now, Moses, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I wonder if Moses was confused. Wait a minute, I thought you said you was coming down. Like, I thought you said you were going to be here. You remember, you're the one that's concerned about your people. You're the one that said your people were miserable. I tried to protect your people. Look where that got me. I'm out here watching these smelly sheep now. But God wouldn't hear of it. No, Moses, I'm sending you. You ever prayed that prayer of desperation? God, help us. God, help America. God, move in our town. God, Bless the sick. God, protect our kids. God, clean up that place of business. Just show up. We're surrounded by all this sin, this world that we live in. And we cry out to God and, and we say, God, why don't you do something? And he says, I have. I've put you there. And then we say, why don't you do something else? <laughs> right? That's what I said. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I had decided to be a pharmacist. Uh, I'm not sure why, but I, I had... And I was on my way to Purdue. See, I told you I'd work in Purdue favorably, right? I was on my way to Purdue. And my dad is driving me up there, August 1984. And we're driving up there, and a big uh, Indiana thunderstorm comes. And there is rain coming down on the window shield. Like, you, you know, one of those storms where you, you kind of have to pull over because you can't see? And he pulls over. And so we're sitting there, and the, I, I mean, I literally, I can remember it like it was yesterday. And the rain is coming down on this window shield. And my dad looks at me and he says, so this is what you want to do? You want to count pills the rest of your life? 
really, we're having this talk now? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Where are you going with this, Dad? Well, your mother and I always thought you would go into ministry. That might have been nice to tell me one time in my life. That might, might have been a good idea. Rain's coming down. I can barely hear. It's coming down so hard. And he says to me, I'm telling you now. Um, I never made it to Purdue. We turned the car around. Three days later, I was in an Old Testament history at Ozark, Old Testament history class at Ozark Bible College. I learned a valuable lesson on the road to Purdue that day that God had a place for me in his kingdom. I'll be honest with you. I never in a million years thought that was true. I never in a million years thought God could use me. I didn't think I was qualified. Like Moses, I didn't think that I could do that, that God could actually use me to move his kingdom forward. And I've learned that. Look how Moses, the superhero, responds when God calls his name. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I, Moses says. Moses doesn't feel qualified. He, he doesn't feel like he can play a big part in the kingdom of God. Moses has some weaknesses. He's fearful. He lacks self-confidence. We learn later, later that he has trouble speaking. Can you relate? I can, I can. When I was in kindergarten, uh, the kindergarten teacher identified I had a speech problem. My parents knew that it was true. And so she, would, she put me in the speech therapy class. And uh, speech therapy was in this little tiny room during recess. So all my friends are on the monkey bars and playing dodgeball. And I'm in a little confined room with this little woman who's got horn rim glasses. And I'm in there saying things like, Charlie chose the chunky chicken at the church dinner. Charlie chose the chunky chicken at the church dinner. Charlie chose the chunky chicken at the church dinner. It was very depressing. <laughs> and uh, for five years, I was with Mrs. Pinson in speech therapy. Literally, she calls my parents in. The true story. She calls them in and she says, listen, we've done all we can do for Drew, Okay. Um, here's the thing, and I'll quote her now. Drew will be fine as long as he doesn't choose a profession that involves public speaking. <laughs> really? I never liked her anyway. Anyway, maybe the reason I'm here this weekend is so you can have confidence. Hey, if that guy can do it, anybody can do it, right? But here's the truth. I learned something very valuable in my life, and that is that God does sometimes his best work through flawed people. Flawed people. Now, sometimes our flaws are of a moral nature, and we have to work on that. I love the story of a mom who visits her son one uh, evening for dinner, and her son lives with a female roommate, and she doesn't approve. But during the meal, she couldn't help of the attraction she felt between the two of them. There was chemistry. And reading his mother's thoughts, uh, her son said, I know what you're thinking, but believe me, truthfully, Jennifer and I are just friends. We're just roommates about a week later, Jennifer came to him and said, ever since your mother came to dinner, I couldn't find, I have not been able to find the silver serving plate. You don't think she took it, do you? And he said, well, I, I hope not. I doubt it, but I'll email her just to be sure. He writes an email. Dear mom, I'm not saying you did take the silver plate. From I'm not saying that you did not take the silver plate, but the fact remains that ever since you were here for dinner, it's been missing. Several days later, he receives a reply from his mother. Dear son, I'm not saying that you and Jennifer are more than just friends, and I'm not saying that you're not, but the fact remains that if she was sleeping in her own bed, she would have found the silver plate by now. <laughs> yeah. You, you liked that one, did you? Okay. Yeah. Go mom, right? 
we all have moments in our life where we've lacked integrity, moments we aren't proud of, moments we wish we could have back. Believe me, I've had my share of those moments, but don't let that sway you from a future serving Jesus. Don't let that keep you from answering the call of God. Here's what I've learned in 30 years of ministry. The grace of Jesus always seems to outweigh my flaws. I'm grateful for that. Sometimes our flaws are small. We have this uh, movie theater near our church, and we do some advertising in it. The movie, we found that movie theaters are really good places to advertise church, and so we did this commercial. It didn't have any pictures of me. It just had me narrating the story of our church, and, and there were some service times, and we had some pictures of our people up there, and my wife and I are sitting in the theater, and we're, we're waiting for this commercial to come on, and finally it comes on, and we're listening. It's exciting. There's a couple behind us, and the lady says, she says, and I quote, she says, uh, that guy sounds kind of annoying. I don't think I'd want to go to that church. Well, she doesn't know we're right in front of her. And my wife stands up and turns around, and I'm thinking, this is awesome. She's going to, this is like girl fight in the theater. This is great. And uh, my wife turns around and looks at her and says, you have no idea how annoying he can really be. <laughs> my sweet wife throws me under the bus there, right? Sometimes flaws are small. Sometimes they're not small. Sometimes there's an overriding problem that we're fearing will keep us out of the church or out of ministry. Maybe it's a divorce or a secret sin or an addiction and we're just embarrassed and we don't feel like we'd be welcome. I can relate. There, there are moments that we aren't proud of and there are times when if we're not careful, even as Christ followers, we can slip back into sin. This last year, um, Michelle and I had the opportunity to, to mentor about 60 pastors, younger pastors. And uh, the way it was set up is there would come 20 pastors at a time uh, through our church uh, during the year, like one in March, one in September, one in November. And so we had this group of 20 pastors that were coming, and we had spent the morning together at our church, and then we had a lunch together. And, and my wife said, I feel like I need to make some dessert. And I said, why don't you make your peanut butter cookies? They're amazing. So she makes these homemade peanut butter cookies from scratch. And I'll just be honest with you. I'll just confess this sin. I'm, like, addicted to them. I mean, I don't know. I know you can, can't really tell by my slender physique, but the truth is, why is that funny? I'm just kidding. <laughs> And so, and so I'm just like, I was so excited that she's making these cookies. And so we have this event and they eat about two dozen of the cookies, but she's made about four dozen cookies. So I'm calculating in my mind, there's two dozen left for me. But then I remembered she had put me on a diet earlier that week. And she says, listen, you, you can't really have any of these cookies. And I said, could I just have one? And she's like, okay, you can have one or maybe two, just two at the most. You can tell she's an easy pushover, right? So I, I have a couple cookies at dinner. And then she says, but that's it, no more. And she takes the cookies and she puts them in a Ziploc bag and she seals the bag. Well, we have this big island in our kitchen, and there's a cabinet that comes out, and it's like a, you know, it looks like a cabinet, but it's really a trash can. You guys, many of you have that. She puts it in the trash can and shuts the door. Fresh cookies. I'm like, what are you, Jezebel? I mean, what's going on here? Like, can't, I can't believe you did that, right? And she, I said, at least I could have taken them to the other pastors tomorrow morning at church. And she said, honey, I don't have the faith that you wouldn't eat like a dozen on the way to church tomorrow. So I go to bed, I get up the next morning, I'm doing my devotions, I got my Bible out, I'm reading my Bible, I'm drinking coffee, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I remember, and I'm thinking, they're in a Ziploc bag, right? <laughs> I mean, it says right on the package, stay fresh, keeps germs out, it says all of that. So I did it, I, I pulled them out, and I pulled them out, and I get like one, two, five, 
and I shut it back up and I shove it down there and I pull it in there and so I'm eating these cookies and now I'm reading the word of God and the Holy Spirit now begins to speak to me because I'm eating the cookies and I'm drinking coffee and everything and my wife comes out and she looks at me and she puts her hand on her hip. That's never a good sign. And she says two words, really, seriously? I've learned in 31 years of marriage that nothing good ever happens beyond really and seriously, okay? And I'm like, what? And she says, I, are you serious? You took them out of the trash? And I'm like, they're in the Ziploc bag, you know, and I'm, I got my mouth full of cookies, you know. She takes them out of the trash in, in the kitchen, slams the thing, drives, walks through the garage, goes out to the big black container, throws them in there, shuts it, and she's just like, enough, okay? And I'm like, okay, I got the message. So I go to work that day. I wish this story was over, but it's not. <clears throat> I go to work that day, and I come back home. It's been a hot day in Texas. As we, it's always hot there. So I drive in, and uh, I park my car, and I look over, and I see that trash can. <laughs> I know, and I'm thinking, they're still in the Ziploc bag. <laughs> and now they're warm. <laughs> and I wanted so badly <laughs> to go in there. And I could kind of hear my wife rummaging around in the garage, you know. And I just wanted to tell you, I'm just, I'm proud to tell you that I had the strength to walk past the trash can today, okay? I just want you to know that, okay. Now, why would I tell you that silly story? Because even as Christ followers, we tend to somehow gravitate back to the trash of this world if we're not careful. One of the most powerful verses in all the Bible is in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul writes and he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And every time I attempted to go dumpster diving in this world, I think of what Jesus did for me. And I'm so glad that God does some of his best work through flawed people. That he's able to, to work through us for the redemption of his people. So here's Moses. And he's worried about his ability to make any kind of kingdom impact, just like you and I are often worried. And Moses is asking, who am I? Why me? I can't do this. I'm not worthy. I'm not your guy. And I love God's response because he doesn't give Moses a pep talk. He doesn't tell him he's a snowflake, unique and special in every way. He says five words. I will be with you. I'll be with you. I'm sorry, but in some of the darkest moments of my life, just knowing those five words are true makes all the difference in the world for me. God is virtually telling Moses, this is a lock. I guarantee victory here. I love that. Moses asks, who am I? What makes me qualified? And God responds, I will be with you. And maybe you came here this weekend and maybe you're asking the very same question. Who am I? Why am I here? How could God possibly use me? Who am I? I'll tell you who you are. You're the one that God is with. You're the one that God is with. And the short of it is, through this flawed individual, through Moses, God redeemed the children of Israel, and his people were once again free. He used Moses as an agent of freedom. Here's my takeaway from this amazing story. If you don't remember anything else from this message, I hope you remember this. God will do what you can't, friend, but God will never do what you won't. God will absolutely do what you can't. Never worry about that. God will supply the power. He will supply the strength, but God will not do what you won't. Anytime Moses was short on power, God reminded him, I'm with you. 
I'll be your strength. I'll be your might. I'll be your power. But when Moses was short on courage, God wanted to see him muster up the faith to make it happen, to take the first step, to believe. We have to trust God that his power and and that he'll bring the thunder. And we have to roll up our sleeves and dig in and move obediently and sacrificially. And we worship like it's all up to God. And we work like it's all up to us. And here's what we learn through this story, that as we move in obedience, God's power gets revealed in our life. I had no idea, no idea when I graduated from high school that I'd ever pastor a church, ever. God will do what you can, but he will never do what you won't. You have to take the first step. I took my first step on a road to Purdue one rainy August day in 1984. Some of you, some of you have the ability to be change makers. Some of you students, you can be a change maker in the kingdom of God. Will you have the courage to make it happen? Will you? Can you work past your flaws long enough to discover ways to move the kingdom forward? Some of you would be a huge encouragement. Some of you in this room, you'd be a huge encouragement to someone in the student ministry. Some of you here, you have the gift of giving. You haven't tapped into it. You you, you were put on this earth. Did you know that that's a gift? You were put on this earth to reach people with your resources. Are you doing it? Are you listening? There are those among us today. There's those in this room right now. God is calling you into ministry right now. Will you ignore his voice? Will you make the excuses? I did. But today it becomes abundantly clear, crystal clear, that God is calling you. What will you do? What will you do when God calls your name? Because you have to make the first move. You have to respond to God's call. God will do what you can, but he'll never do what you won't. And if he can use me, trust me, he can use you. There's room for you in the kingdom of God. There's a place for you. And when God calls your name, just know he's ready. He's ready to use you. He's a God of the people. He loves people. Loves you. He's involved. He loves me. He does some of his best work through flawed people. People just like you. People just like me. Let me pray over you today. God, love you. I thank you so much for the opportunity to speak to these sweet people here at Plainfield Christian. I thank you, God. for what you've done in my life. And I am mindful that you, uh, you're, you're the potter, I'm the clay. Thank you for molding me. And, and yet, God, I just thank you that you're ever-changing my life. And I pray that you would work in the people in this room. I pray that, that we would open our hearts to what you said to us today. We pray, God, that you, we could respond to the calling that you have on our life, that we wouldn't ignore it, that we wouldn't mute your voice, that we would listen that we would listen. And God, we, we thank you that you use people. I'm grateful today that through your grace, you're even able to use flawed people like me. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys.